We are continuing our sermon series going through the, the Gospel of Mark, and we are coming to an end of a section here in Mark chapter 4 on parables, uh, some of the, the parables of Jesus where he's talking about uh, the growth of the kingdom of God. And so that's what we're going to be finishing that up uh, this morning here, looking at some, a few more of those parables. Uh, before we, though, we, we, before we have the reading of God's word, let's first pray that God would open up uh, his word to us that we might be able to hear it better, uh, that we might be able to understand it better, that we might be able to take it to heart more, and that his spirit would be working in us in this time. Lord God, your word is powerful. It has always been powerful from the very beginning when you said, let there be light. And there was light. Uh, You have continued to speak and your voice has thundered across the earth. It has gone into the hearts of your people. Uh, Lord, we have taken heart in your word and in the promises that you have given And so as your word goes forth again here, it goes with that same power in the very beginning. Uh, And so would you then use that power to make us more into your image, to uh, bring us to repentance, to bring us to see the beauty of Jesus so much better, and to learn to live uh, in greater conformity to uh, what you have here, to your will And particularly here as we look at what it means to continue to live and to serve in a kingdom which grows. Thank you that that kingdom is not founded upon us, but is founded upon Jesus. And may he be known here, not just words about him, but the words of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We read Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. This is the word of God. And he, being Jesus... And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples He explained everything. Amen. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. We pray that every week. We just prayed it a few minutes ago. It's one of the petitions that he taught us to pray for regularly. For the kingdom of God to come and break into the world. To continue to infiltrate every corner of the globe. To burst forth into more and more human hearts. And to make manifest the new creation reality that Jesus has promised in a way that it would be evident among us. And when we pray, your kingdom come, we don't just stop there. We ultimately cry out that Jesus would return and bring his kingdom not just in glimpses or in pieces, but in cataclysmic fashion to burn away all the world's impurities and remake everything in his holiness. 
Your kingdom come is one of the most profound petitions that we can ask God. Are we afraid to pray for this? Are we afraid to pray like this? Not in the sense of a deep fear, like being careful what you wish for, though there might be, though, some of that, an awareness of what we pray for in here, that we are ultimately praying that Jesus would come and that there is judgment that accompanies also the fullness of the kingdom. But being afraid, though, in this sense, like in the back of our minds, it won't happen. Have you ever been afraid to ask something of God because you've been so afraid that he might not answer you? These are some of the deep things we're told to pray about. But will we be let down? What if it doesn't happen? Or what if it doesn't happen like I think it might? Or in my lifetime? Or visibly before my eyes? Well, it all depends on what our expectations are. What are our expectations for the kingdom to grow and to advance? What does it look like, and how does that happen? This is why parables like this here that Jesus has are so challenging and so helpful for us. Jesus properly orients us around the kingdom and its advance. Now, don't forget this. We're talking about the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. And God works on a different economy than we do. We should expect nothing less from the one who has not only infinite power, but also infinite and eternal wisdom, right? And if God works on a different economy, then that also means different expectations. There's a gap between what we might expect it to look like as it grows and how God sees fit for it to grow. So the question there is, who's right? If our ideas differ from his, then is God the one to be faulted? No, he works on a different economy, and we're going to see this morning that the kingdom of God first grows through God's power, its second grows slowly and expectantly, and third, it grows beyond our visible expectations. Now, the good news in all of this is that the kingdom will grow. God is committed to his kingdom and seeing it grow because he sent his son for the kingdom. By his ministry, he shows us what it's like. It's a kingdom of wholeness, of reconciliation, a kingdom of the forgiveness of sins. Through his death and resurrection, his kingdom became reality. It came with power. And even right now, his kingdom is here in part as Jesus sits in glory at the right hand of God the Father. But we look at the world and it still seems so dark. And we ask, is the kingdom of God really growing? We may even get a little anxious when we think about being kingdom people sent out by God. We think about impediments to the gospel in certain places or in stubborn hearts. We look at, is it really growing? Is it growing here? Will it ever come to fruition? I mean, even to the point where we might feel nervous about praying, your kingdom come, like it's too big or we're bound to get let down like a little girl asking her dad for a pony. But this is so important for us to remember. God loves his kingdom. Christ loves his kingdom. And he loves it way more than we do. And if he loves it like that, if he loves it enough to even grace the presence of his spirit among us, then how could he ever not have it bear, or come to fruition? We have full assurance that the kingdom will grow. And Jesus tells us in these parables about how it grows. He corrects our expectations as we consider 
what it means to be a part of this growing, expanding kingdom. And so we're first then going to look that the kingdom grows through God's power. It grows through God's power. In both parables, we have this image before us here that we've seen before. Seeds. All right, here in the first parable, Jesus describes a man going out and sowing seeds on the ground. And then what's he do next? He goes to sleep. And he wakes, and he continues the regular rhythms and cycles of his day. Meanwhile, that seed begins to to sprout and grow on its own because that's what seeds do. The blade comes up, turning into a stalk. Then the ear, and then the grain within the ear, until eventually the harvest is ready, and the sower goes out in the field, and he puts his sickle in to reap the new grain. And in verse 26, Jesus says that this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like the whole entire process. It's the seed growing as it does, apart from human exertion. It's sown, and then it grows. The seeds of the kingdom go forth, and then the kingdom grows, just like the seed here. If you've been with us over the past few weeks looking at these parables in Mark 4, then it shouldn't surprise us to understand that the seeds that are sown here are the words of God. Jesus said it explicitly in his parable about the seeds and the soils, that the seed is the gospel of the kingdom, that it's the word of Christ. And it's the same thing here. In both parables, and we'll get to the second one soon, but in other words, though, with all this, the kingdom of God grows and expands as the word of God is sown. It's sown forth upon the hearts of people, and it slowly grows, and the kingdom grows up slowly with it. Now, what control does a sower of seed really have over the growth? They sow. That's a very important part, because without the seed... No growth happens. Without the word of God, then will the kingdom of God grow? If people are not given the word of Christ Jesus, then will his rule and his reign come to fruition in their lives? See, kingdom people live by the word and also give others the word. But really, the sower has little control over the growth. They sow and they wait. Sure, you could say they nurture the seeds or they provide nutrients to help the soil. But first of all, that's not mentioned. And that's not really the point here. Because it doesn't matter how much nurture someone provides the seed or the plants in in their garden or the crops in their field. At best, all you can do is make better conditions to allow for growth. But no one actually makes the seed sprout or the plant grow. That happens through those unseen natural processes working upon and within the soil. or Sorry, upon the seed. That's what seed does. Seeds grow. And the process for growth is out of our control. It grows according to the unseen powers and energies that are totally foreign to us. In verse 28, Jesus says, The earth produces by itself, by forces that are way beyond our control and way beyond human power. And he says, this is the kingdom of God. It grows and advances by his power. A power that is unseen because it's the power of the unseen God who's at work in this world. And it's a power that's too high for us to fully comprehend. We know how seeds work in theory. But we can't make them grow. We know in theory that God works in his power to grow his kingdom. 
But there's so much that we can't comprehend, nor can we make them grow. So what's a sower to do? Just sow the seed. What are people in God's kingdom also to therefore do then? Just sow the seed. Sow the word and let God make it grow in his power. Because really there's nothing that you can do. You can't bring in the kingdom. It doesn't grow because of our labors. In fact, more often it grows in spite of our labors. But thankfully, it relies on the promise of God. It's because of his promise to build and to grow his kingdom. His promise that has been given through Jesus for us. And his promise that goes forth in the power of his spirit. The kingdom of God will grow because God is at work in it. If any of us believe that we won't be put to use, then let me tell you this, though. This actually gives us freedom, incredible freedom, to go forth and to labor for his kingdom. Because it really doesn't rely upon you or your abilities or your gifts. It relies upon God, his power, his promise, his son, his spirit, and it will grow because of that. And you get to take part in that work. He calls you and he gets to put you to use. And as you go out then, then you get to trust in his power and not your own self. See, this really takes all the pressure off of us when we work. You are free to work for the kingdom. It doesn't rely on you. You might mess up along the way. You might say the wrong thing or stumble or get yourself into an awkward situation. And you might find yourself to be wholly inadequate for the work of the kingdom. And that's okay. It's actually the better place to be. Because at that point, we know that we have nothing that we can give and that we can instead just rest and trust in God's power and not our own. And that causes us to drop to our knees as we work and as we labor for the kingdom too. Dropping to our knees and praying that God would be the one who is at work and that he would be using us in our own inadequacies and in our own weaknesses to grow and to build something lasting and eternal, his kingdom. The kingdom will grow despite all of our inadequacies. We're not called to make the kingdom grow, but to sow the seeds and trust in God's power. The 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon understood this because this is how he was converted. He would often tell the story of when he was 16 years old and he found himself in a little chapel on Sunday morning in in London as he took refuge in a snowstorm. And he recounts, uh, in one of the times that he recounted this many times, he says, in that chapel there might be a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not come that morning snowed up, I suppose, a poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was from Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. And then this man here standing before him, having exhausted what he says, all he could say about the text in 10 minutes, then Spurgeon recounts how he he looked at him and shouted, you look very miserable, young man, 
And you will always be miserable in life and death. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. And then Spurgeon describes how it seemed as if the sun was shining upon him in that moment. See, here was a man without training, fumbling his way through an impromptu sermon on a text that he had just decided, yet he was sowing the seed. It wasn't because of his skill or his lack thereof that the word took root. It was because the power of God was working in that word there, giving life and hope to a 16-year-old Charles Spurgeon who then God would use remarkably throughout his long preaching career for the further growth of his kingdom. So it grows according to God's power, but second, the kingdom grows slowly and expectantly. Now, our culture likes instant results. Walk up and down the aisles of the grocery store, and many of the items available for purchase sell themselves on convenience. You don't need to then afterwards spend time in, in, in line checking out, but you can go through the convenient self-checkout. Or you can even just order it all on your phone and have them bring it out to your car for you. The very next day, or sorry, if next day shipping on Amazon isn't fast enough for you, then you can even have a drone drop it off at your doorstep in a matter of hours. You can learn a new skill set, a difficult skill set in 10 easy steps. Convenience rules the day. But is is it really, though, driven by our culture? Isn't it really driven by us as people? Drive-throughs, fast shipping, methods and means of modern convenience associated with the Western world have become ubiquitous all over the globe. Because once we get a taste of how fast and easy things can be, even at the potential sacrifice of quality, then that's all we want. That long, patient way of life is strange and it's perhaps appealing to many of us. It seems like a virtue until we begin to understand what it costs us. Jesus describes the growth of the kingdom not in fast, instantaneous results, but in slow and deliberate fashion, like a seed growing up. The seed is sown, and it doesn't immediately pop up a stalk full of grain. It follows along its natural processes. The seed first needs to germinate, and then it, and then it, it sprouts, and then that blade emerges, and then the ear and the grain There's a development that needs to happen. There's a process in between planting and harvesting that has to take place. And that requires us to slow down. And the same goes for Jesus' second parable here of a mustard seed being planted. He draws his hearers to to consider a mustard seed. A very small seed. About one to two millimeters in diameter. But that little seed goes into the ground... And over time, it sprouts and develops into what, and grows into what Jesus says is larger than all of the garden plants in verse 32. Now, not quite a tree as we might think of a tree, but a bushy or almost shrub-like tree growing up to a height of about eight feet and putting out branches. Now, when we think of big trees, that might not be very much. But consider, though, how that mustard tree started. A tiny seed, no bigger than the poppy seed from your muffin this morning. And it grows into something disproportionate to the, side, to the size of the seed. And it takes time and patience. It doesn't happen overnight, but it grows slowly and surely over the course of years into that, into that tree. According to Jesus, this is the manner 
This is the fashion of how the kingdom grows. It takes time. It's the kingdom is radical in that it upturns everything in the world and in ourselves to reverse things from sin and death into righteousness and life. But that radical shift doesn't happen overnight. It brings transformation, but not in an immediate fashion. Rather, it takes time, slowly growing, even growing as silently as a tree grows. Like the trees that we have growing outside, there are results and progress to be seen. But it requires us, though, to, be, to slow down and to be patient and to trust that it is still growing and expanding despite our inabilities to see that growth in the moment. See, the kingdom doesn't really grow along with our desires for convenience, but still it grows surely and steadily. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with that being the growth of the kingdom? Jesus is. And he's the one who brought this kingdom and is continuing to oversee its growth. The disciples first had this rapid timetable at first. And even when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, they're asking, so is now the time when you're going to bring the kingdom in now? But it requires patience, which isn't easy as we long for its full coming in the world with Jesus' return. Or as we long to see it penetrate in the various places where the stubbornness of the human heart seems to rule the day. Or even being impatient or dissatisfied with its slow growth and inbreaking in the places right around us. It's taken 2,000 years and this is where it is in the world? Now think of it the other way. It's been 2,000 years and look at what it's done so far. At how God has grown it from the smallest beginnings into transforming lives all across the globe. It grows slowly, but there is an expectancy for growth nonetheless. The seed is sown expecting a harvest. That's why it was sown in the first place. The one who sows a seed does so anticipating that it will grow. And that when the time is ready, then he goes out with a sickle to bring in the harvest. And the same with the mustard seed. It's put in the ground with the expectation that it will grow into something much bigger. See, slow growth and expectant growth aren't incompatible. Waiting expectantly for the slow growth doesn't mean that we're settling or lowering our expectations. It just acknowledges that it grows in a slow and silent fashion. Although the kingdom slowly grows across the world, spreading its branches into all sorts of places, sprouting and rooting in the hearts of humans from every culture, from every ethnicity and race, that doesn't mean that there's no intent or no purpose in its expansion. It grows as silently as a tree, but as steadily as a tree, eventually spreading out into something large and beautiful and bearing fruit. We can be expectant even amid its slow growth because once again, God has given us his promise. This is a kingdom enacted by the promise of God and it grows according to the power of God. Jesus promised his disciples that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's a promise given by the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of this kingdom, who gave his body and blood on the cross to punch a hole into the world and for his kingdom to flood in. And that's a promise that we need to take seriously. And even if it does grow slowly, it is still growing expectantly. And if we don't see immediate results flooding forth right now as we labor for the kingdom, are we okay with that? 
We ought not to think that the kingdom has stalled. Could it be that in our kingdom work, he is calling us to till up the hardened soil and plant the seeds that a generation after us then will then see the growth and the harvest? Are we okay with that? That might not be easy for us to swallow because we like to see the fruits of our labors, but whose kingdom are we working for? We're not working for our kingdom. We're working for the kingdom of God. And then third, though, the kingdom grows beyond our visible expectations. What do you expect when you think about the kingdom growing? To what extent? Jesus encourages us to think big. And we can because his kingdom is enacted on God's promises and is brought about by his power and not ours. Right? Consider that mustard seed once again. It grows disproportionately to what you would expect just by looking at it. It's a tiny little seed, but it grows into something much larger. It grows far beyond typical human expectations. Who would think that that little tiny seed would grow up into a tree? The same goes for the kingdom of God. It has humble beginnings. Jesus ministering in an insignificant area of an insignificant territory in the Roman Empire. And it was brought in by a crucified Savior, offensive to the understanding of Jews and foolish to the wisdom of the Greeks. But it grew and it grew and it grew and still it grows and it grows and it grows. And even to a worldwide scope. Jesus makes this reference to the birds of the air making a nest in its branches. And he's alluding to several passages in the Old Testament, one of them that we read this morning here in our Old Testament reading, Ezekiel 31, but also Ezekiel 17, Daniel 4, where they use these imagery of large trees as being great kingdoms of the world and then are stretching across the whole known world. And these trees then have branches that are stretching out in which the birds, which are all of the other lesser nations and people groups, they're coming in and they're taking refuge. And Jesus is making a point in this statement. He says the kingdom of God has huge expectations. It grows on this worldwide scope with expectations that go beyond what we might even see right now. And it will grow so that even all of the nations will join in and take refuge. People from every nation, tongue, and tribe forsaking the kingdom of this world and taking refuge in the kingdom of God. But if you notice from you read it when, when we heard it this morning in Ezekiel 31, God would chop down that tree. But there's something, in, there's something significant here, not by what was said, but by, wasn't, by, what, by what wasn't said. There's no mention of that. This tree grows and grows, and the birds of the air come and take nests in its branches. And there it is it's an eternal kingdom. It's not a kingdom that will come to an end in this world, but as it grows and grows and grows, it lasts into eternity. The eternal kingdom of God that cannot and will not be shaken. And this is a worldwide kingdom. And this is what we need to remember. What do the people of the kingdom of God look like? They're not all the same. Jesus didn't come to make a kingdom full of people who look like you do or come from a common cultural heritage. He didn't come to fill his kingdom with people who think the same ways or who come from the same backgrounds. And if that's our idea, then we better prepare ourselves 
to be sorely disappointed in eternity. Because God has an even better plan in mind than making a homogenous people. He takes diverse sinners with diverse backgrounds and even from diverse places in the world and he makes them heavenly citizens who are bound together by Jesus. And the cross takes us, even people who are at odds with each other, and reconciles us from the enmity and the differences that we inevitably have with one another and even the differences that come with people from various parts of the world and various cultures or even just simply that who live across town. How does the kingdom grow? Perhaps we've made this a more complicated question than it needs to be. We strategize, we plan, and we implement. And to be sure, those can be helpful tools and methods for us as we try to more efficiently and effectively work for the kingdom. But have we trusted in those plans and methods rather than what Jesus has told us in these parables about the growth of the kingdom? What have we assumed is most important to the kingdom growing? Is it in human power or ingenuity? Is it in our abilities and our giftings? And that assumes an awful lot about ourselves. Maybe we should think more about the models and examples that we have in in these parables. That God grows the word as it's sown, and he does so slowly but assuredly based upon his power and his promise. How does that change our approach But we get out of the way more and simply try to be faithful in the task. The kingdom of God grows as the word of Christ is sown. Everything in our ministries and our labors are subordinate to that. Without the word of God, how will others explicitly, explicitly know of this triune God who came to us? And if this is a kingdom that's sown by the word and is brought about by the, the power of God, then we can't forget prayer, right? The word and prayer have to go together. They always go together. Because when we pray, we are appealing to God's power and we are asking him to be at work where we cannot work and where we do not have power. Finally, though, also we labor in confidence that that seed will grow, that the word will bring a harvest and that the kingdom will expand. And not because of ourselves or our abilities or our giftings, but because of God who has promised to be at work and to bring his kingdom into an ultimate and worldwide fruition. Let's pray. Father, your son Jesus told us to pray your kingdom come. We do that all the time. We do that on a weekly basis. We pray that your kingdom would come, though, not according to our expectations and not according to our power, but in the ways that you see fit and the ways that you are fashioning it and according to your power. We pray that we would be able to to cry out, your kingdom come, though, with with more confidence when we have this idea and our minds focused on you who are bringing it about. And with that in mind, we ask, we beg too, we see it as a privilege that you would use us, undeserving people brought into your kingdom, and that you would use us to go out and to work for your kingdom with expectancy and not without hope. And knowing that we are not alone either, but that Jesus is sitting on the throne right now and he has given us his spirit to be with us, to be the very power of God who is at work in this world. Um, Give us faith and hope in that and a renewed sense of of joy 
as we get to, we get to, with that, that, that deep privilege, labor for your sake and for your kingdom. As we come before the table very soon, very shortly, please prepare us uh, to come and to receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.